Hi, this is Harry Cosmo, freelance football journalist for BBC Sport, Eurosport and 442 Magazine. You're listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters, with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world, covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Process Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mr. Neil Spruce, a.k.a. NWB. And I'm joined by Mr. Kobe Durand, a.k.a. Kobe. Kobe, how's it going? Fantastic, buddy. Looking forward to seeing Netherlands in the semifinal. We shall see about that because they got a tough quarterfinal against Los Alba Celestes of Argentina. I, I wouldn't say that's that, tough, but whatever. Okay. I mean, they, <laughs> they beat you last time, but whatever. Um, we're also joining us, Mr. Justin Williams, the talented Mr. Justin Williams. How are you doing? Oh, living the dream, the sun shining. I went to the gym. It's just a good day. It's a good day. It is a good day. It's a good day to talk some FIFA World Cups. So joining us is the esteemed writer from from all over, actually. He contributes to The Guardian. He writes for himself. He wrote for the Sydney Morning Herald back in the day. Is Mr. Aaron Timms, joining us from New York. Aaron, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm enjoying my uh, my World Cup day of rest before we go back to the mat uh, with the 10 a.m. start tomorrow. So, yeah, doing well. Hey, 10 a.m. beats 5 a.m., that's for sure. Yeah, that, exactly. No, mate. The, the games in the U.S. are on Fox. You had a little bit to write about that in The Guardian. Take us through that article, if you don't mind. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's it's it, it's something I think that uh, tapped into a lot of frustration that many people in in the U.S. have felt while, while watching the World Cup, which is that the coverage on Fox is just amazingly bad. Um, it's both stupid it manages to be both stupid and patronizing at the same time which is a real achievement right um <laughs> we get sort of a lot of shouting you get you know the mandatory bits of jingoism and so forth whenever the us is playing which you know is not totally to fox of course i think every national broadcaster that has its own national team playing at the world cup tends to be um, tends to kind of lose all sense of impartiality and become sort of very emotional and um, sort of jingoistic whenever their national team is playing. But Fox is obviously particularly bad because it's Fox. You know, it's it's sort of – it's weird to think about kind of Fox within the context of Fox News and the Murdoch Empire generally. Like, I think, you know, you might expect um, Fox Sports to be a little bit different or a little bit more measured, but in many ways it's actually worse than, than watching – Fox News. It's kind of like the, the, the Fox News Plus version um, of, of watching a sporting event. So, yeah, so it's kind of like really, really stupid, a lot of shouting, a, a lot of kind of dumbing down of the sport and, and really, really patronizing because, you know, a lot of people here do follow the sport really closely and are very knowledgeable when it comes to soccer, um, but you wouldn't have any sense of that from, from watching Fox. So, the story basically just expressed, I think, like the frustrations of many people and my own frustrations personally, of course, um, by cataloguing 
in maybe maybe slightly um, excessive detail uh, all of the excesses of the um, Fox Sports coverage of the World Cup. So, you know, I did drive-bys on pretty much every major character <laughs> who appears on screen um, on set from, like, Rob Stone to Alexi Lalas to Landon Donovan um, and and I there's there's I I know you guys haven't um, been watching Fox Sports, but the thing that really kind of puzzled me and and still just doesn't make any sense to me is the employment of this guy Chad Ochocinco, who was uh, a wide receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals in the two thousands and a very good you know American football player, um, but he's been employed as a fan to provide his fan experience at the World Cup. And the guy is like, just doesn't know anything about football, seemingly. I mean, he did, I, I will say, I know a little bit of the history of this, of this particular person. He did try, he did play football, um, as a, as a youth, let's say, and did try to actually play pro soccer in the US after his American football career came to his NFL career came to an end. But he doesn't really seem to have anything to say about the sport or the World Cup. And so he's doing these kind of diaries of his days out watching the matches at the World Cup, which should be, you know, really fun and <laughs> should make the viewers laugh, but they're like totally wooden and he, I don't know, it's just really bad. Really, really bad. So uh, I described him as a, um, a sentient television own goal, which was maybe a little cruel, but um, I think fair. So, yeah, so it's kind of just a roundup of everything that fucking sucks about Fox Sports' coverage of the World Cup. And, yeah, it seems to have struck a chord because I've had a lot of people writing into me, um, DMing me and, and emailing me about their frustrations, just pouring out their frustrations, like 1,000, 2,000 word-long emails <laughs> that I don't really know how to respond to apart from, well, thank you, I'm glad that you agree with me. Um, so, yeah, that's basically what the, what the piece was about. Yeah, and, and it definitely uh, passes the pub test amongst the, the footy fans here, like uh, Lalas. I've heard a little bit about, about Lalas over the years, and yeah, he just comes across as loud and deliberately contrarian. Yeah, deliberately contrarian and not necessarily beneficial for football or soccer, but yeah, just loud and people seem to go along with it because he's loud. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I don't, I don't know if that I, – I honestly – don't know whether that is sort of what his his kind of mandate is or whether he's kind of been told to to be this way but it but it really is strange i think he used to be i think he used to be better as a as a pundit than he is now now he just he really is just phoning it in and phoning it in very loudly it must be said so um yeah he's uh he's the worst <laughs> uh I was watching the golden goal for Team Canada versus USA in hockey. And in Canada, it was like, oh my God, an amazing shot. This is like beautiful. And then the US and Fox News was like, it was a lucky shot. Um, you know, <laughs> they were just fatigued and basically kind of runs into the ground, as you were saying. Right. Yeah, Aaron, when it comes to the average soccer fan in the States, I mean, you're, you're there. How much attention is the World Cup actually getting? Yeah, well, that's that's difficult for me to answer because I'm sort of surrounded by football diehards. I, so, I, I think it's kind of like an interesting question because people say, well, I think a natural reaction to sort of my critique, which is that you don't need to talk down to 
the soccer community in this country because it's already very knowledgeable and the, the team, the national team is obviously operating at a, at a level of great distinction. Okay. They went out. There was kind of a shitty match that they played against the Dutch, but I mean, it's a good team, right? There's a good squad. There's a lot of talent in that squad. So you don't, you don't need to talk to viewers of the sport in this country in that way. There's already a lot of football knowledge out there in the, uh, in the sport watching American community at large. Uh, for, for kind of, so, so I, I guess to answer your question more directly, like I do think it's getting a lot of attention. I mean, the, the match against England, I think was the most watched soccer match in this country ever. I don't quote me on that. I might be wrong about that, but it got, it, you know, it was very high rating, got a lot of attention. Um, and I think generally the World Cup always just attracts a lot of, you know, attracts a lot of neutrals because it's fun. I mean, it's a little bit different this year, of course, because we're playing it, you know, in, in winter and it's the holidays and it's sort of been a little bit disruptive, obviously, in the first week of the of the World Cup. You know, there was Thanksgiving and people were traveling and so maybe they weren't watching it as much. But, I mean, definitely in the second week I got the impression, and this is totally anecdotal, um, there's no data to back this up or anything, I got the impression that a lot of people were – you know, paying attention to the World Cup and especially how the US was doing in it. So I do, I do think it's, I do think it's, despite the fact that it's not being played in summer when everyone can sort of leave work early and go to the bar and sort of take an interest in this sport that they might not otherwise have that much of an interest in. I do think, I do think it's sort of built up a lot of momentum over the course of the, of, of the three weeks that it's, you know, that it's been on. And it, I, you know, it kind of raises the question of, well, well, maybe, you know, Fox is, Fox is sort of appealing to these neutrals or whatever. But I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's, it's kind of insulting the intelligence of the viewers a bit to analogize every part of the World Cup so that it makes sense within the context of what's happening in American sport. I just, I just don't think you, like, you don't have to sort of say, oh, you know, a step over is a deek. You don't have to use some fucking obscure <laughs> hockey. Term. I mean, it's like no, no, no offense to, to the to the Canadians that I'm speaking to right now. Like, I didn't know what a fucking deek was, so I was like, I was like, this guy JP well, JP De La Camera was like, and I think he might be a hockey commentator or he might sort of do quite a bit of hockey, but he was like, he deeks. I was like, he what? <laughs> um, he kept on sort of talking about deeks. Mm. And sort of the, the references to pick and rolls and various other sort of, you know, I, I, there, there is, of course, this like separate thing of American soccer specifically having its own lingo. And I'm totally okay with that. Like you can call a save a shutout. You can call a, a penalty a PK. Like I don't have a problem with that. It's like the old thing of, you know, when Bob Bradley coached in the Premier League and people mm. made fun of him because he was calling penalties PKs, right? So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. But I mean, it's this kind of thing of trying to make sense of the World Cup, which is, you know, the biggest sporting event on the planet. Trying to make sense of it in terms of Super Bowls, like oh, it's like a hundred Super Bowls put together over the course of a month. It's like shut up. We don't, we, you know, people don't. I, I fundamentally don't believe that. American viewers, even those who don't have, you know, a deep and abiding interest in, in football, need that to kind of understand why it's a big deal and why it's fun to watch and why we should pay attention to it. So, have you heard this discussion of the potential removal of draws from the group stage to make the game more exciting for North Americans to watch in the next World Cup where they'll have, they'll have literally penalty kicks to decide games as opposed to draws? Um, I haven't heard about that but that is very 
distressing and uh, I hope that uh, doesn't come to pass. <laughs> I mean, I'm all in fa- I'm all in favor of like innovation in the sport and you know, we all enjoy it when people suggest that um extra time should be played with like two balls on the field instead of one or you know, you should have two goalies in in goal for a penalty shootout instead of one or like all these kind of obviously joking suggestions that people put out mm-hmm. whenever we get to extra time in a knockout match in, in the World Cup and it's kind of heading nil all to, to a penalty shootout. But yeah, I don't, I don't, we don't want to see that. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, we don't, we don't want that. And, and also, I mean, I will say like this World Cup has been a great advertisement of the fact that penalty shootouts, yes, of course, it's a, it's a sort of to some extent a lottery, but penalty shootouts, there's a lot more skill I feel in penalty shootouts now. Um, and there are much more interesting tests of preparation and, you know, team management than now than they were, I think, like 20 years ago. I mean, you look at the, the penalties that, um, you know, the Japanese took, which were, which were horrible, or the Spanish took, which were, were probably worse, right? Mm. And the way that the other, the other teams, you know, the way that Croatia approached it, the way that the Moroccans approached the shootout, the, the obvious preparation that they did to make sure that their keeper understood all the history of each of the penalty takers and which way they, you know, which direction in goal they favor and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that to me, it's like th- there is a real skill to the penalty shootout. And I think that, you know, commentators and pundits need to do more to emphasize that rather than just saying, you know, throwing your hands up and saying, oh, fuck, you know, it's a penalty shootout, you know, anything could happen kind of thing. Um, yeah, anyway, that's just that's just my, that's just my uh, you know, contribution to uh, educate the uh, commentators of the world. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Hi, you're a friendly neighborhood Canadian hockey guy here. Yeah, there we go. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry to offend. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. I, can, I, can, uh, I can bridge the gap. So a deke is like a dribble. Right. From hockey. Yeah. So, but anyway, it's okay. going forward. But it's, it's a dribble where you like, where you fake or like, you know, where you motion to go one way and then go a different way. Right. Yeah. Except hockey gets really weird in the sense where it has different types of deeks. So there's like okay. a generic kind of like left, right shuffle. Then there's the windmill. There's the drawback, the toe drag. There's quite a few five hole pass, five hole duck board, but it's, there's too many. Well, if we, if, JP Delacamera had gone into that level of detail, then I would have enjoyed him referring to it as a deke. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, he, saying deke is essentially like you were in class and you're like, I kind of paid attention, but also I didn't really. Right, right, right. Okay. Got it. You can it literally have it. worse. They could have said handles. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> That's another thing too up here too. Oh, he's got some dirty handles on him. If they do one. Right, like, oh right, my right. God. <laughs> <laughs> hockey has its own like subculture you need a dictionary for hockey at this point right uh, right especially with mcdavid so being in new york 10 years have you grown to enjoy hockey have you been to a game have you been to the rangers islanders what's up i so i went to one winter when the heating in my apartment didn't work my <laughs> la- so it, didn't, it, didn't work. <laughs> it didn't <laughs> it didn't work for like a week and i was like sort of boiling water and putting it into a bucket to take a shower. Um, my landlord, who's a big sort of Long Island, you know, Italian-American hockey guy, he was like, hey, man, sorry, sorry, the heating didn't work, but here are some <laughs> tickets to go watch the Rangers at the Nassau Coliseum. And so that's the uh, one. Actually, no, I've also been to see 
the Bruins play when they came to to um, Madison Square Garden. So I've seen I've seen two hockey games, and you know, of course, I liked it because there are many many sort of points of similarity um, with football. So yeah. I've, I've, I've been to see some hockey. I mean, go to Nassau Coliseum. That's a, that's a, that's a major hockey commitment, a pilgrimage, you might say. Um, yeah. Of course they don't, they don't play there anymore, but, um, <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing both the Islanders and the Rangers. I mean, that's, that's good, um, good coverage, right? That is exactly. I mean, I just got to go see Buffalo because technically that's part of New York. I oh, guess. yeah. There, there we go. There we go. Get the, get the trifecta. 100%. It's funny, actually, when we mentioned about uh, piss-poor locations for arenas, Ottawa's in that struggle right now with their arena. It's in the middle of nowhere that you need to take a bus to get. It's absolutely wow. true. And they're like, why aren't we selling out the arena? Because <laughs> nobody <laughs> right, knows where it right, is. Right. right. And if you do drive there, it's a nightmare to get out. Yeah. No, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, yeah, it was It was like, yeah, it was pretty grim as a, as a place to go, like sort of falling apart. I mean, this is obviously when they – I think when they'd already made the decision that they were gonna gonna move, that yeah, it's kind of falling apart and sort of asbestos on as sort of a sprinkling of asbestos on the hot dog or whatever that you get from the concession stand. So yeah, yeah. there was a, there was a rumor that there was like a bunch of dead bodies hidden within the walls there at one point. Wow, that would not surprise me. Yeah, it, it, when you go to the arena, you're like this. This kind of gives it that home vibe now that there's just a dead body, <laughs> right, literally. Right. It's gross. But moving forward. <laughs> okay, cool. So you've experienced with, with NHL. You've done that. Have you been to any MLS games since being in New York? Yes. I've been to a Red Bulls match. And I've also been to a couple of USMNT matches as well. I think I, I went to one to report on. And then I've been to a couple just to hang out. And I mean, you know, it's a little bit of a similar vibe because this they were both out at the, <clears throat> you know, the Giants stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of, you know, that too is a pilgrimage if you're coming from Brooklyn or whatever. Um, you know, it's fucking difficult to get to and you like leave at the end of it and it's, you're like sort of a little bit drunk and, you know, you get the sort of $200 cab ride back from Jersey. But yeah, no, so I, I've, I've been to, I've been to some, I've been to some soccer. I I'm probably haven't been to as much as I should have been at this point, but, um, yeah. If you average like one every year, you should be sold. Before I pass you off to Nee about your heating comments, I, I live in Toronto and uh, our heating went out for a week as well. But our landlord gave us uh, $10 off our bill as opposed to giving us hockey tickets. So, <laughs> right, right. You can imagine getting leaf tickets? <laughs> well, I mean, your leaf tickets cost like 800 bucks. Like, it's gross <laughs> right. to go to a leaf game. Right. So, he's like, here's, here's $10 off and. I don't even know. That's like yeah. Well, that, that there you go. That really puts things in in perspective, doesn't it? Because yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I assume that Islanders tickets are a little bit cheaper than uh, than the ones up there. But um, yeah, ten bucks. That's rough. That's oh rough. my god. No, it is. I hate that landlord. Anyways, <laughs> one would say that the lease game itself is gross. But anyway, um, let's get go. back to soccer. Let's get back to soccer. Uh, the U.S. men's national team, they did bow out in the round of 16. Now, there are a couple of questions coming up from the exit. One was Gio Reyna's minutes in the tournament mm. and also Jordan Pifok's absence uh, period, given that he's a pretty prolific striker in Europe. Right. What was your take on the U.S. performance, and what can they do going forward? Well, I think the 
first thing they should do is, you know, get a, get a different manager. But um, I don't know. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I thought it was, uh, you know, there, there was a lot of, you know, sort of uh, a lot of kind of excuses made for the team, which I found a little bit strange. Like this is a – I saw someone on Twitter yesterday was, you know – this was kind of a, a tweet that went semi-viral, weighing in on the on the whole question of whether you know Berhalter should be should be um, retained as head coach. And this guy was like, "Oh, you know, he took a college-age team to the round of 16. I'm like, there are, the, the, "These guys are all like playing at the highest level in Europe. I mean, not all of them, of course, but a lot of that starting eleven is they're okay, they're young-ish, but they're not like teenagers. They're Solidly, all sort of in their twenties, uh, with the exception, I guess, of, of Gio Reyna and a couple of others. You know, like Pulisic is what twenty-four. Sort of Eunice Musa, Weston McKenney, all these players are you know very solidly into their getting into their mid twenties now. So, I think you you as a US soccer fan, you would be entitled to expect a bit more from the team, you know, than a round of a very limp round of sixteen exit against an admittedly good Dutch side. I mean it's it's not so much that they went out in the round of sixteen. I think it's it's kind of the way that they went out that was a little bit disappointing because they really just had no cutting edge. Obviously it's everyone knows about their difficulties with scoring. Um yeah, so it was it was I don't know. I felt like overall the conclusion I came to was that it was a little that the biggest failure has to be with the manager because there was a lot of stuff that came down to game management and concentration and things like that. And selection. I, I think selection was a big part of it as well because, you know, there was this, this struggle throughout the tournament. Okay. It's only four matches that they played to score goals. And Berhalter didn't do enough to find the right starting 11 to put the ball in the back of the net. I mean, he sort of was quite rigid in the way that he approached every match and, and the way that he approached his starting selection, you know, sort of insisting on having kind of a recognised striker up front, even when none of the strikers at his disposal did particularly well, like Josh Sargent and then Hadji Wright and then obviously Jesus Ferreira. In the match against the Dutch was was taken off at half time. So yeah, I think I think, you know, would would the US have done better with someone else sort of brought in a different striker brought in um there's also you know you, you mentioned um, one of the options that was also kind of ricardo peppy as well i mean yeah i i think i think maybe but uh it's incumbent upon the manager if, if he kind of knows that he doesn't have full faith in any of his strike out and out striking options then i think it's incumbent upon him to set the team up differently to to put players like Tim Weyer, who was obviously very good um, and who scored a wonderful goal in the first match, um, to put those people into into striking positions. I mean, you know, I made fun of him in my in my piece about Fox, but Clint Dempsey in the, for the match against the Dutch was like, we've got to go all out and just put our best players on the pitch. And I think his suggestion was to play Tim Weyer as a number nine, essentially, and then put Brendan Aronson on the on the right wing, and I think that was that was probably a good suggestion. And then yeah, Gio Reyna, he should have obviously had he should have had more minutes. Sign up to SoRare, the ultimate fantasy sports NFT platform. Scout, collect, and trade officially licensed digital player cards with other fans in our open marketplace. 
create teams with cards from your collection and earn points based on your players' real-life performances to compete in a variety of fantasy sports competitions. Showcase your skills and go head-to-head -head with managers from around the world to rise up the weekly rankings and earn rewards. Yes, Silverware is a game that you can play this season and the next and the next and the next. It's almost like a, a dynasty spin on fantasy. This is something that is available in formats such as NBA, MLB, and also football, the World Game, which includes this year's 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. So what are you waiting for? Get involved, get in the game, get some cards, and have some fun. Oh, did I tell you it's free, by the way? Yes. All you have to do is sign up. Kobe showed me. It's, it's really that simple. You just sign up, create an account, and then you can start playing. And if you want to go a little bit harder and purchase some limited, rare, or unique cards, you can do that too. But at a base level, this is really just a free, fun way to play with your mates and show who's really in the know when it comes to sports. Because ProSource Podcasters, we know our thing. But so rare is a chance to go up against us and see who really is the smartest in the room. So hit the link in the show notes, and we'll see you on So Rare. Own your game. What is the way forward? I think Berhalter has done a great job in kind of assembling the squad. There's this real competition now between national teams. I mean, it's always been around, of course, but it seems it's much more intense now because we live in an age of globalization and people are born in different places and move a lot. And, you know, there's just a lot more sort of human mobility um, in the world. And so you've got this competition between um, national teams to sort of unearth um, potential national team candidates, right? And so that's how he's assembled this squad that has players like Yunus Musa and various others who don't, you know, who have an ancestral link to the US, but obviously, you know, Yunus Musa has a has an English accent. I mean he's English, right? So and it's the same for the Australian team, I should say. Like we've had our our best performer at the World Cup was um, you know, a six foot six brick shithouse who has has a Scottish accent. Mm -hmm. He's he's a Scot, right? So so Berhalter did, I think, really, really good work to assemble this squad and to kind of encourage people, convince people that talented sort of young players playing at the highest level in club football in Europe that their that their sort of national team fortunes would be better aligned with the US than with wherever they grew up or, or were born. So he did great work with that, but I think, you know, I don't know. I think I think the US just deserves a better manager. And then, you know, people the, the counter argument to that is, well, you know, look at what's just happened with um with Spain, where they got rid of a manager that everyone has a lot of regard and respect for because of their shitty performance in the round of sixteen and they elevated like their youth coach to the to to lead the <clears throat> to lead the the national team. In other words, it's difficult to it's difficult and not straightforward to attract, you know, uh, a top talent into a national team role, even when it is a glamorous one, um, such as the, you know, the head of the USMNT. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just overall think that, um, I, yeah, I mean, that, that counter-argument obviously has some weight, but I think that the US needs to find a, a better, more tactically adept manager and yeah, like I say, the, the the players the players are good. I think I think the the core is is very strong, and there's reason for a lot of optimism going into 2026. 
mm-hmm. which we played on home soil. Now, you touched on the Socceroos and and their performance. They also made the round 16. Their pathway to get into the World Cup was very, <laughs> very rocky. Uh, yeah. Playing yeah. a lot of games away from home. Right. The playoff where one Andrew Redmayne went into the folklore with yeah. his performance and penalties. What was your right. take on their performance? And do you think Graham Arnold is the future as manager? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, Graham Arnold is... I was definitely one of the the Arnie haters going into this tournament because I, I don't think... Things a little bit sort of one-paced as a as a manager, and obviously our qualification campaign was was really bad, apart from the um, the happy ending in mm. in the in the sudden death playoff against Peru, um, <clears throat> and also just I know from actually when I was a reporter at the Herald, he's the kind of guy who would call up the reporter to complain about the story. He did that with the story that I wrote in two thousand and six right. about the Socceroos. You know, he's he's kind of like a a bit of a bitch, you know. He's just like a little bitch. Um, but then, you know, at the World Cup, they, they performed really, really well. Like, I mean, you can't, everything you think about Graham Arnold, you've got to kind of, kind of revise your opinion about the guy because they, you know, he, everyone made fun of him for talking about this Aussie DNA thing going into the World Cup. We've got the Aussie DNA, you know, we fight to the end, backs against the wall, you know, all this kind of bullshit. Um, but, but it was all true, you know, um, we did, we did sort of, play in the manner of, you know, 11 Graham Arnolds on the pitch, you know. And, and so I think we need to be really, as Australians, we should, we should be proud of the way that they, the way that they played. And it, it wasn't just a kind of holding teams out for 90 minutes. I mean, we, we did play some very nice possession passing based football, right? I mean, Aaron Moy, you know, was, was, was very good. You know, we had, I think, got a goal of the tournament contender in, in Matthew Leckie's finish against, uh, against the Danes. So it was, it was a really encouraging performance. Yes, Garen Quold, you know, if he'd scored off that chance in the 96 minute against the, uh, against the Argentinians, then, you know, I think probably we would have, we would have put the Argentinians out because we did have a lot of momentum, um, at that point in the match. So yeah, I think, uh, I think, you know, I, I think a round of 16 exit feels like a pass score for the US. A round of 16 exit for Australia feels like we overachieved. You know, to get out of that group playing the world champions and then the European championship semi-finalists, um, you know, two teams that were in our group last time as well and we didn't, didn't fare so well against them. It's, it's, it's impressive. And I mean, it's kind of like, well, what, what is the way forward for, for football in Australia? You know, in 2006, there was a lot of, I think, a lot of triumphalism. I was definitely mm. guilty of this as a, as a reporter. There was a lot of like, well, you know, fucking soccer's going to take over the country. You know, step aside AFL, step aside rugby league, step, step aside rugby union. You know, there's only going to be one football code from now on. And in years to come, we will speak of Australia v Vietnam in the same breath as the ashes. You know, I mean, just as important. I think, <laughs> I think I'm quoting myself. Actually, I was like, I was exactly the kind of reporter who wrote that kind of shit after the after the match against Italy. And and I think there's a bit more of a sense of perspective now because the A League has you know has not been the A League has been struggling. AFL, I mean, AFL is the real winner in the in the 15 years since the 2006 World Cup, right? I mean, it's kind of taking over the whole country. Mm. Rugby league is is shrinking or kind of holding on, but not really growing at all. And rugby union has obviously shrunk a lot to the point where, you know, um, football, soccer is 
a much more vibrant and more important code in, in Australia than rugby union was. And you have to remember at the start of the century, rugby union looked like the thing that was going to take over the country mm-hmm. because we'd done so well at the World Cup and then hosted it in 2003. Anyway, so yeah, what, what is the way forward? Um, fuck, I don't know. Like, you know, th- there is, I mean, there's not to get into the weeds too much of, of Australian football, but there is this debate. And I actually be really, really interested to, to hear about you know, the Canadian experience on all of this stuff, um, TV coverage, um, development pathways, national team performance, all of it. Um, but there is this debate, you know, in Australia about how the A-League was developed. It was kind of this thing developed out of nothing, sort of modelled a little bit on MLS, a little bit on the K-League, the J-League. Yeah. Um, and it's not connected to the youth development pathways that come through sort of local clubs. So you get the situation where kids sort of emerge through these community clubs and sort of lower tier clubs and then there's no real bridge between that and the A-League clubs and the A-League sort of just sits there as this thing that is professional but doesn't really speak to what else is going on um, with soccer as a participation sport throughout the country. So, I think that that needs to be fixed and then, you know, find more six foot six Scottish players like Harry Sutter that would that would be my recommendation to the Australian <laughs> soccer authorities you know just he was so yeah. good you know <laughs> yeah no no I think Arnie did a great job uh his style is definitely suited to tournament football that yeah rah rah I, I agree. Uh, hot but and, and look if he wants to do the Asian Cup because I've already qualified for that let him do that but right. after that find someone else get right, Marcelo right. Bielsa get get someone else who's gonna do a top-down approach and just re- revamp things, okay? Because we'll have another 2007 otherwise. That's why I take an Australian football. Yeah, but, yeah um, exactly. I, I, I agree with you. Well, let's uh, we'll have another 2007 with the hopefully with the exception of Australia's yeah. um, exit at the Asian Cup under Grand right. Arnold, right? <laughs> That's exactly um, right. <laughs> Redemption tour. But um, I mean, I could give my international observer view of Canada, but I'll let Kobe give you the the rundown on football soccer in Canada yeah basically there's sort of two two sides to it so the people I know that are true soccer fans are mm. actually happy with the performance of the Canadian team right right they're they're pleased with how good we looked against some top sides right right and sure it, it hurts to get knocked out you know in the group stage but other than a few people like myself that were kind of hoping there was a possibility of getting through most of us didn't expect that to happen Mm. And then you have sort of like the mainstream media and people who aren't real soccer fans or just sort of casual soccer fans, right? They tune in during the World Cup and maybe a couple other special events and that's about it. Right. And they, they think it's this, this major travesty that we, we didn't move forward. But I think it's the same thing in the States. Like I, I wonder how many people who aren't American would have had the Americans in the quarterfinals. Right. They, when they made their pool. I mean, I, you should be very thrilled that you made it to the round of 16. Yeah. I didn't have them getting to the round of 16. I didn't. Mm. I didn't have them getting out of the group. I had them very, very closely losing and coming in third, right? Right. I, 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 I thought something similar. I was like, they will lose to Iran or there, there will mm. be a draw against Iran. That's what kind of what I thought would happen. Anyway, sorry, go on. Yeah. So, I think, again, if you are an educated soccer fan, you're probably happy 
with the result, but the casual fan, I think they compare it too much to whatever sport they're, they're most interested in. And it's uh, right. very much a get to the end or nothing situation. Where right, that, right. that isn't the true uh, sign of accomplishment when it comes to soccer. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree. Right. So, you know, the purists, we are the purists. We appreciate what, what Canada did. I thought they looked great in their, in their opening match. And they have this, this amazing, you know, generation coming through, obviously. I thought sort of, to, for me, the player that I already knew, obviously, a lot about Alfonso Davies and, um, Jonathan David. But, um, the player I was like really taken by was, was Tajon Buchanan. I thought he was, um, I thought he was incredible. So there, to, to me, that's like three really, really world class players that Canada has coming through. So you kind of look at Australia. I mean, I totally agree. Arnie's like a, like a, like a tournament, a tournament coach, right? He's so good at motivating players for a, for a tournament, um, kind of to put their heart and soul into everything. But, you know, our, our, we don't, we don't necessarily have players of, of that quality, right? So, mm-hmm. so Canada should be looking at that and thinking, well, we, we can do so much more. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. How do you think that, how do you think Canada's, how do you think, how do you think it will, will sort of, affect the Canadian team to be playing, you know, for the tournament to be, to be held on home soil in, in 2026. I think it'll help. Yeah. Versus the enthusiasm for the, the team and the tournament um, this time around. Cause I imagine it was like the interest in this world cup was off the charts compared to, you know, the last, whatever it's been, 28, 26 years, right. <laughs> the last, however many world cups since, since Canada was there. Right. Yeah, I mean, for Canadian fans, the World Cup's always a big deal because we're we're such a multicultural country. There's so many people here that are rooting for, let's say, one other country plus Canada or two other countries plus Canada. So to have Canada there was more of a bonus than than really the primary excitement. I mean, you ask someone like myself, it's as much as I'm born in Canada, I get more excited about the Netherlands every time the World Cup comes around because I have... My father was from the Netherlands and he, right. he played, he played for the under 21s and, and that. So I get excited to see the, the orange come out and potentially lose in the final again. But right. that's, that's just, that's the situation, right? right but right. for me, having Canada there, I was like, wow, this is awesome. Not only do I get to cheer for Netherlands, I get to cheer for Canada. Right. Right. So it was like a bonus for me. And I think for a lot of people, especially the real diehard soccer fans here, it's some other nation first, Canada second. And that's just a result of, you know, Canada not being there for so long. Right. Right. So I think having it here, the first thing is, I mean, you got to expect they're going to situate Team Canada in Toronto. And that's, that's, right. where we're, that's where we're based. So you got the excitement of actually being able to see your home nation live at a right. World Cup. So that's going to be intense, right? That'll be insane. Yeah. And then you get the additional bonus, like everyone else here, of where's my other team going to be playing? And Is is that the possibility, is there a possibility of seeing them as well, you know, on home soil? So uh, there's, there's going to be a lot of buildup to it. And I think how Canada does in matches leading up to it is key, Mm. right? So as far as the interest in the, in the Canadian team, it's going to be, how do we fare in matches leading up to that world cup? So that's, that's the big one. And then of course you've got the extended number of teams. So there's the possibility of having some real cakewalk 
<laughs> you know, matches available yeah. to you. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how it falls. Right. Yeah. 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 And so I assume, I assume Canada is going to be playing all of its group matches in Canada. Right. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, the only place that's guaranteed is Toronto, right? Nee? Toronto and Vancouver. So Those I guess two, yeah. we're, we're still trying to work out, well, firstly the format, because yeah, if you can yeah, insist on 48 teams, it's going to be 16 by three, it's going to be 12 by four. Right. Uh, speaking to one of the guys from TSN, he said it'd be a challenge to have Canada playing Toronto and Vancouver. So it might be two games in one city and then maybe a game in the States or Mexico. But right. we'll, we'll see what, you know, FIFA want to do and what pleasures them the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. And uh, yeah. And as you say, I guess we don't really know even how many group stage matches there are going to be. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fucked. Yeah. It's a bit of a mess. <laughs> it's a bit of a shit show. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, and it's so weird, like looking at this World Cup because the, the group stage was insane. It was like the best group. I mean, the final day of the group stage was the best final day, you know, cumulatively that I can, that I can remember, right? In a World Cup. And then, you know, to kind of take that experience to look at that and everyone is saying the same thing. There's like universal acclaim for this and be like, Oh, let's just fucking throw another, you know, hundred teams into the mix and <laughs> see, see whether that might improve an already perfect final day. Um, is just is just bizarre. So, yeah. I mean, having said that, I'll I'll watch all the matches. <laughs> I'm still going to watch all thousand matches at the 2026 World Cup. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, before we get you out of here, <laughs> have you ever had a poutine before? I have. I've had several. Uh, yeah. And what, what is your go-to? Well, like just the traditional one, right? <laughs> oh. Is it, wait, hang on. Does the traditional one have the have smoked meat or is it just the curds with the gravy and the chips? Just curds, gravy, and fries. Right, right. Yeah. In that case, that is the one that I like. I feel Because I feel like if you put meat into it, it just becomes – it's already a heavy dish. Um, it just becomes a little bit too much. Yeah, um, I like you, sorry, I was going to say, I like you said chips, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I well, caught that I mean, too. This is the problem. Like, you start talking to an Australian, so you just revert to Australian words for everything. But, uh, yeah, I did have a, I did have a poutine once that was an oyster. Like, oyster was the protein that was added to it. That's and gross. I, you know what? I actually, I actually really liked it. So. Um, yeah, but, you know, I, I'm happy to, to be a traditionalist, you know, on my, mm. on my next trip to Canada, it'll be the first thing that I eat. Perfect. Now, cause you're from New York, is it the yeah. same as garbage fries? Like, is that better than poutine? Um, well, like the Rochester garbage plate. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, poutine's better, I think, because Rochester garbage plate has too much shit on it. It's like. Uh, there's, there was actually a restaurant that opened earlier this year in like a fancy, well, fancy like a gentrified part of Brooklyn that was devoted to the Rochester garbage plate, and it just closed. It turns out that when the only thing you offer to diners is a large plate of fucking sloppy meat and fries and a bunch of other shit smothered in sauce, um. You know, this doesn't make you really viable as a, as a business. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm definitely choosing Putin over the Rochester garbage plate. 
you have a friend in me. And where, where can our friends find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at uh, Aaron Timms, A-A-R-O-N-T-I-M-M-S. And that's all? Just Twitter? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, sure. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Dope. I think I just gave you a follow. Your display picture is a black icon, I think. Correct. Yeah. Saying user not found. Yeah, no connection. Tap to try. Love it. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for coming on there, boss. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website, www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our Insider Tips, Sponsor Giveaways, and Insider Newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasts experience. Where no sport is left behind. <laughs>